Welcome to our echo chamber. <laughs> and welcome to the Auckland Unitarian Church. Our theme today is about religion in school is coming, but key questions have still not been answered. I'm very happy to welcome our two guest speakers on this subject. Uh, Sarah Passmore, who is the Vice President of the Humanists um, and Rationalists Association of New Zealand, and also the spokesperson on religion. And the other is the Secular Education Network Chair, Penny Earhart. Both of those are joining by Zoom from Wellington. We are very glad to hear you and look forward to discussing these issues with you. This chalice is a symbol of our shared hopes and joys. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Better to let its bright light show where you stand, for its flame will melt the dark night at the coming of new dawn, and hope will be born by that small flame in your hand. I invite you to join with me in the words of our covenant. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is the sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other. I had planned to do several readings, but I think our time is a little short, so I'll um, use the shortest of, of my readings. These were from uh, three people from the 19th century who fought for secular education. First was a Jewish leader, um, there were several um, Christian leaders, and there was one atheist leader, um, Robert Stout, um, who I'll, will, I will quote, um, he said that one thing he liked uh, about religion was going to churches where he could hear some intelligent ideas that he disagreed with. <laughs> and he later became a Unitarian while still remaining an atheist. And he is one of, our, one of the founders of the um, Unitarian Church in New Zealand. Well, after two years of waiting, I'm excited that the government proposal for religious education in state schools is about to be revealed but I'm also concerned because very important questions have still not been answered, like will it include teaching about non-religious views? Will it be professional? Will it go together with an ending of one-sided religious instruction by Christians? Well, those bits of information, that report is about to, um, to, be, to come out in, in, a, in a few weeks. But they're going to release it, so they said, it was on the 18th of November. And that, even that made me suspicious, because that's just before the Christmas break, and that's a favourite way of burying something confidential. I spoke to the author of this report, Paul Morris, about two days ago, and he shared the same worry. He had been trying to get hold of the, association, uh, the Associate Minister of Education to clarify what has happened to his report. Not surprisingly, with it up in the air, he still doesn't want to comment on it today. The reason I want to comment on it before it happens is so that we will not be caught by surprise when it does happen. The government's original steps in religious education started in 2019, 
after the killing of 50 Muslims in Christchurch. Later on that year, the Religious Diversity Centre held two forums of New Zealand religious leaders. They were the ones who recommended the government should start uh, teaching about religion in schools. They held two forums and they made recommendations to the Prime Minister of what they would like this religious education to include. They said it was needed, needed to stop the prejudice that had led to the killings in Christchurch. I got a copy of those recommendations and I noted that they all wanted religious education. They all wanted it to be part of secondary schools as well. They did not mention the removal of religious instruction. In my view, there was a huge gap in their concerns. The next step was when this idea got picked up by the government. In a cabinet paper in October 2019, the Education Minister, Chris Hipkins, said he had accepted the RDC offer. He said the Ministry of Education and Religious Diversity Council would start a conversation about it, emphasising a shift from religious instruction to neutral religious education, consulted, uh, taken by professional teachers. So it was Hip Chris Hipkins, not the religious centre, that introduced the idea of stopping religious instruction at the same time. I became particularly interested in this idea after the Secular Education Network court case fell through. I was one of the leaders of that campaign, and when we lost, I felt we did not have enough money or energy to start another court case. So I felt that we should work with Professor Morris's report, not necessarily agreeing with it, but trying to amend it where we differed from him. It was the only game town. Many atheists would like religion to be removed from schools altogether, but other non-religious people are in favour of religious education, so long as it includes lessons about non-religious beliefs as well. That's particularly true of humanists. Then in 2020, Paul Morris took up the job of preparing a report about religious education. He started with a survey of what New Zealanders think about religious education. He focused on members of religious and non-religious groups, and he told me that the non-religious people made up about a third of the responses. I personally responded to the survey, so did another, a number of other people, but I also took a copy of the questions he asked. Whether there should be a special role for Christianity, whether the religions covered would include Maori spirituality, whether it would include teaching about atheism and other non-religious beliefs, whether it would include secondary schools, whether it would lead to the end of religious instruction, whether it would mean the end of religious observances like Christian songs and school assemblies. All good questions. His brief from the government was to consider these views, to report on the ways that religious education was done in other countries and to come up with some re recommendations. Unfortunately, this report was shelved for two years. Starting in July 2020, I made numerous requests under the Information Act to see what Professor Morris had recommended. The Ministry refused. My third application for this was investigated by the government for 20 months. It's a shocking abuse of the Official Information Act, in my view. The Act says that schools should, and government departments generally should respond within four weeks.
The reason it took 20 months, months for the Ombudsman was that the uh, uh, Ministry of Education kept wanting to add things into his consultation. But he said to them, was it, but I lost that anyway, the Ombudsman said uh, they did have a right to discuss it in, in confidence. But he said it was about to be released soon anyway. So I asked another official information action question. How long would it soon be? When were they going to bring his report out? And the reply came back from the Associate Minister um, of Education, Jan Dinetti. She said it would be about eight weeks, but she refused to answer any other questions at all, and um, except to say it would also be a release of a briefing paper she released that year. But the eight weeks was a, a good bit of news. That's, uh, in my calculation, uh, 16th of um, November. My next decision was to share this information with other religious and, and non-religious leaders. They included the Secular Education Network, a Jewish leader, the Religious Diversity Centre, and finally from the Association of Rationalists and Humanists. Their spokesperson on this was Sarah Passmore, who is with us today. And she returned the favour to me um, by sharing a piece of information she had, which I lacked. On the 1st of September this year, Ms. Tinetti told the humanists and rationalists, I'm advised that the Ministry of Education did note that some groups such as Maori and Pacific people were underrepresented in the RDC research. The Ministry recognises that these important voices need to be explored. I thought, wow, they're going to shoot holes in Professor Morris's report. Tinetti went on, the conversation about diversity and religion in schools is now being pro progressed through the refresh of the national curriculum. It will ensure that religious diversity is considered alongside other diverse perspectives, cultures, identities, values, and faith. She also attached a link to the ministry's draft content for social sciences learning area. The document was dated 2021, so it's a bit out of date now, but it said a final draft would be available later this year. So that's three documents that are going to come up later this year, but no word of what is in them. In the curriculum refresh document, it does give the principles of the new curriculum, but no real hard examples. One of the principles was, or the big ideas they call them, Maori history is the foundational and continuous history of Aotea New Zealand. Second one was colonisation and settlement have been central to Aotea New Zealand for the past 200 years. The third one was access to power and its use uh, and misuse shape life's experiences. I was actually a bit shocked to read that these are the main principles of our social studies. This is a political agenda that could have been written by black power. <laughs> to put it more delicately though, it has a very different context from the issues raised in Professor Morris's questionnaire. He was talking comparative religion, the ministry was talking about indigenous rights. There was almost no overlap between what Professor Morris was doing and what the, this report from the ministry is doing. There was one overlap. One thing they both agreed on was that it should include uh, secondary schools as well as primary. I think that's a small step forward. Another big surprise came from the Muslim uh, sources in February this year. On the website of the Federation of Islamic Associations, I found out they have been invited to write up stories about their religion for the Ministry of Education. They were asking teachers to help them this work. 
Then in February, I invited a Muslim education leader, Sister Rehana, to speak here, which she did, but it didn't shed much light on it. It was about education generally. And the third Muslim contribution is now on the ministry's curriculum page. It's written by the Muslim Women's Council, and it deals with some interesting topics. For instance, one was a story about how Muslim children are coping with the fallout from the Christchurch massacre. Now that to me sounds uh, that and the the others sound like a very um, thoughtful, um, positive uh, contribution to the education system. But I was still a bit concerned because this was not a neutral piece of teaching about Islam. It was. Uh, and only no other religions or non-religious beliefs have been in, in, invited to do the same. Uh, it seemed to me that this you know, was in danger of being not professional and a bit one-sided. The second... Um, on the wrong page. Um, however, the, uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel in this report. The most unambiguous piece of information is Jan Tanetti's statement that the new guidelines were to be tried out in schools in the first term of 2022 and be further amended and the new syllabus would then become compulsory in 2023. So it seems that the reason for the release of all these background papers could be that they are about to start this curriculum next year. But that leaves no time for any discussion of the policy. Professor Morris's report was originally billed as the start of a conversation about the place of religion in schools. But so far, that conversation has been entirely conducted in secret. So I'm left with the dilemma. Is there going to be a further open stage of consultation with the whole New Zealand public? That's what I hope it will happen, um, but it's far from certain that it will. So I'm inviting you to pick up the pieces. Um, I, would, um, I will abbreviate this part of my address because the time is coming on. Um, one of the issues it raises, uh, one of the goals of this education, is that children will gain confidence to express their own beliefs. I think that is a good goal, but it is not new. Um, I was told the same thing um, in 2016 by the Ministry of Education. But it's good, but it's not new. Uh, the second... Um, positive goal, uh, to help children learn with empathy the beliefs of others. Now that would be an extremely positive goal. It would fit with the original suggestion from the uh, Religious Diversity Centre of helping to deal with prejudices against Muslims. But that too is not new. That was the Ministry's view in 2016. They linked up these two goals together. They, they said the goal of educate about religion is to express one's own views, to help the Christian children express their views and study with empathy the beliefs of others. I like that thought. I like even more the thought that they are balanced together, but the Ministry's fresh document has dropped that idea. The goal of empathy is not part of the new curriculum goals. That's a, a huge omission in my mind. A third possible goal is the need to appreciate the stories and values of our New Zealand culture. That's strongly suggested by the curriculum refresh document, but I feel that they have overstated it. For instance, when it says Maori stories are the foundation of New Zealand stories, sure, Maori stories are important, and they have been downgraded for many years, 
But do we want the pendulum to swing completely in the opposite direction? I don't. You can, I don't believe it's the school's job to tell children what their culture should be. And I think that was a big mistake of the missionary schools in the 19th century. They imposed European culture onto Maori culture. Surely a secular school should not be taking sides on this at all. That's my feeling. The fourth point was, do children have a right to be curious? I think they do. I would say that that's the most important goal of all, to encourage children to question and find things out for themselves. I came to that conclusion from two directions. The first was PhD stu uh, student, Ellen Bradstock, uh, from England, came to New Zealand to do her PhD here on religion in New Zealand. And she said th that, um, that one of the main functions of religious education is to give the children options to choose from. She said that children brought up in a Christian home need to realise that they have other options. What would Buddhism be like? What would atheism be like? And so I came to the that uh, I agree with what you said, and I invited her to give um, a submission to our court case, which she did. But I came to the same point from a human rights point of view. If a child is 16, for instance, they probably have a fair idea of what their beliefs are and a right, have a right to assert them. But when they are five, their right to, to talk about their own beliefs is, is not the main issue. They're not really uh, actually very ready to do that. Their main need is to be protected from others who are imposing their beliefs on them. And they can't be expected to discover all these other beliefs on their own. They need a teacher to offer them a smorgasbord of, the, of religious ideas so they can choose. And the Ministry of, Rec of Education, to their credit, does recognise the right children to be curious. So I'm, I think I don't disagree with them there. And finally, I think the, one of the principles is critical thinking. Um, when atheists hear of critical thinking, they think it means tearing religions into small pieces. In fact, it means judicious thinking, weighing up the issues. And one of the best ways to encourage that is to listen to all sides equally. So those are, that's m m my um, take on the subject. Um, I'd now invite um, Sarah, I think since I've introduced Sarah, I wonder if Sarah could speak next and um, if John could bring her up. So thank you very much for inviting me to come today. Uh, Ko Sarah Passmore. Um, I am part of New Zealand Humanists, but just for a little bit of context about why I'm interested in religious education from a non-religious perspective, is that um, I lived in the UK for 12 years and worked at the British Humanist Association. I was their head of education and promotion. And part of that job meant that I was working a lot with policymakers and curriculum designers about how to include non-religious beliefs in, educa in religious education. So for a very long time, um, religious education in the UK has been a compulsory subject, um, but non-religious beliefs have not been compulsory in that um, across the country. They design their curriculum really weirdly in that each local authority has their own curriculum and that's designed by a standing advisory council. So it's a statutory body um, that's made up of generally religious people in the area that they live in and they're not usually education specialists and they design a curriculum about the religions and beliefs in the area. So sometimes there's a non-religious person on that group. 
um, it's very mixed about how welcome they are. And then sometimes there's not. And then each school delivers that curriculum in the way that they see fit. So um, when I was working in the UK, I did things like go into a primary school working with um, six and seven year olds uh, to talk about values and beliefs and how they make decisions. Um, and then I would also go into secondary schools and talk to young people basically about what humanism is. Um, in New Zealand, it's not very popular, humanism. Um, people don't really know what it is. In Europe, much more popular. So um, in Germany, for example, if you're non-religious, you probably call yourself a humanist. And the government funds the humanist organizations in a similar way to how it funds religious organizations. So depending on how many people in Germany say they're non-religious, um, they humanist organizations there will get a large amount of money. So they run hospitals, they have universities, and that's the same in a number of countries in Europe. So really well established in Europe, but less so outside of Europe. Um, but what humanism is, is really, it's a descriptive word for um, a bunch of beliefs and values, and it's really applied retrospectively. So we've seen a lot of those beliefs and values across history and across different locations. Um, everything from uh, Confucius saying to repay injury with justice and kindness with kindness to um, the Greek philosophers saying that death is nothing to us and that after our bodies have been dissolved by death and we are without sensation, um, basically nothing to us. So the idea that this is the one life we have, um, the idea that we should treat others how we might want to be treated themselves with a caveat and that they might not want to be treated that way. So really just listen to others. Um, that's the basic premise of humanism. So when I came to New Zealand, um, I didn't mind that there wasn't religious education in schools, Kitapai, but I was really offended that we have schools that close during the day to conduct um, religious instruction. And then now I work in the civil service um, I participate in religious karakia all the time. And sometimes it's not even in te reo Māori, sometimes it's just prayer. Um, so I have noticed that um, secularism is encroaching in our public spaces. And so I'm particularly concerned about what happens in our schools when we have a religious education curriculum that's only been designed by organizations that have people who are religious as members. Because I think that some of those organizations will feel less critical about some of their beliefs and values than external people have. So um, we've written to the Religious Diversity Centre a few times, the humans. Um, we've been involved in one of their AGMs a while ago. We've had one of their speakers come down to Wellington to present. Um, but really, we had no progress in being able to join that organisation. They firmly sit in a religious um, for religious membership. They don't want to entertain having non-religious members included. So with that, we wrote to the minister to try and have our own consultation with them to talk about why we think not only the inclusion of non-religious beliefs and values are important, but also consulting with non-religious people about the religious content um, in the curriculum as well. And the reason why is because we think we have a lot to add into some of the conversations that they want to include in our schools. So. Those conversations are things like, what's important about being me for a primary school? You know, those sorts of things. Or it could be really big questions like, how do we choose what's right and wrong? Um, what are the decisions that we should make around policy? What's, um, 
what do we do about assisted dying in New Zealand? That was a really big policy debate that was really informed by non-religious people. So, you know, we've got these big questions that actually non-religious perspectives um, could really add to. But if we're absent from having the conversation with the policymakers, then that can be very difficult. Um, as well as that, we have members who are um, ex-Muslim, and we also work very closely with um, the Maori atheists group. And so I think that their unique perspectives would also add value to what we're talking about in education. And um, just on that, tomorrow, the humanists in Wellington have um, Edu Taiheri coming to speak about his book, Maori Boy Atheist. And um, before I finish out, we have actually managed to secure a, um, a meeting with the uh, Ministry of Education that we're gonna be having on Tuesday with the person that's the policy lead. Um, so that was in the letter when we wrote to the, minister, the associate minister about it. Um, they gave me a contact there who is the policy lead and finally managed to secure a meeting. So we'll be attending that um, with a couple of other representatives to try and put our case forward. So if you've got anything that you want to make sure we cover at that meeting, um, send me an email tomorrow and I will make sure that I put it into my list of things that I want to tick off. So um, yeah, get to boy. Happy to answer any questions, but we probably don't have time. Nice to catch up with you all and I'll hand over. Kira, sorry to um, change your schedule a little, um, but thank you for um, making that change. Uh, look, as I think I said when I introduced myself, um, that I'm the um, chair of the Secretary Education Network. So um, I took over from the stellar work that um, David had done um, and others in setting it up and his um, spokespersonship in keeping the issues to the forefront. Um, and I guess, you know, I think I would talk with most of what um, David and Sarah have said. Um, it's kind of, I guess, um, just to talk to you a little about what the Secular Education Network is. Um, we are made up of both religious people and non-religious people. Um, and we're focused on the removal of that um, religious instruction in primary schools, the ability to close, um, to close schools for um, a period of time and have non-teachers come and preach to children. Um, and I think that whether religious or non-religious, the belief is that that is discriminatory, um, a bad use of children's time and infringements of rights of freedom of thought and conscience um, and a number of other things. Um, and uh, it was pleasing that um, we've now moved from an opt system for that where parents had to actively opt their children out um, to get them removed from that to an opt-in system where schools are not allowed to put children into these religious instruction sessions um, without the parents' um, written consent. There's still some issues around that, how it's implemented, whether it's being implemented properly, all sorts of other things. We're still not there, but it's been a big step forward. And I think things like um, the court case that David mentioned and the advocacy that various groups have done has helped with that. Um, and I think it's important to kind of think about why religious people might, including a number of Christians, might not be happy with religious instruction in schools. And part of that is um, obviously there's a bunch of denominations like there are with most um, faith groups. And so even if the instruction is Christian, it doesn't mean it will reflect the um, the faith and beliefs of your particular Christian family. 
um, and that's some of the origins of the Catholic school system in New Zealand was um, the feeling of Catholics that they were discriminated against and that um, they couldn't um, protect their children from Protestant um, proselytizing um, and from stereotyping in New Zealand schools. So we really want to um, move on from that for all children. Um, for myself, I'm a um, international human rights law scholar. I'm just uh, struggling to complete my um, PhD thesis or default thesis at Oxford. Um, so I um, have a master's in international human rights law from Oxford, so that's a big push. Um, and being a member of the LGBTQI community um, is obviously also a big thing. So um, one of our issues of sin is to um, is that we feel that uh, religious instruction is actually discriminatory in a number of ways, obviously on the grounds of religion and um, freedom of thought, but also often on gender grounds, um, can be on um, national background, ethnicity grounds, and on sexual orientation, gender identity, because we don't have um, anything to protect um, children including children who may be LGBTQI or have LGBTQI families from, um, from what might be preached at them by these non-trained um, non teachers. Um, and we've probably seen, that, um, not a state school, but in some of the reporting that's come out, particularly about Bethlehem College, um, some of the dangers that children are put to when um, religious views are allowed to trample um, children's other rights and how devastating this can be. Um, so Sen has not taken any position on the question of whether or not there should be religious education as a subject in schools. Basically, there, there's a diversity of thought and we've really just felt like our job is to remove the religious instruction and religious observances from school, from state schools, and that's our key focus and that's allowed us to have a broad, a broad church, if you like, of people who are engaged. Um, so my comments from now on are just pretty much going to be um, my views. Um, and so don't take them as official scene views. But um, I think myself and uh, some other members of the scene committee had um, quite a few concerns about some of the methodolo methodology in the Morris report. Um, a number of us took part in it. Um, it's unfortunate that we haven't seen it. Um, so we don't know um, whether, uh, even if our concerns were noted, and I mean, one of them was the lack of diversity in the participants, both in terms of Maori and Pacific peoples and in terms of just where the people were coming from and the representation of people who didn't have religious affiliations. Um, so it will be interesting to see it. It's very unfortunate that it's been held up. We've made um, official information requests to see it as well and have received the same, um, you know, this is um, draft advice. Um, and that's the reason for withholding it. It seems to have gone on for a long time. Um, so the news, which I only know as much as has been shared with everyone here today, um, that possibly something is happening and possibly this is being considered within a refresh of the New Zealand curriculum. Um, from my opinion, that's good news. Um, I think in terms of 
the timing of the release. And I have to preface this saying I work contracting in the public service, so maybe I'm tainted by bureaucracy, but I suspect it might not be anything nefarious. Um, there is, um, there's a lot of stuff going on that people are working on and next year's an election here. So it may almost be that things that have dragged people are suddenly getting a giddy up to finish them, um, which might be a good thing. Um, but definitely will be interested to see what comes out. I have to dissent a bit from David's comments on um, the uh, Maori foundations and colonization aspect. And specifically, I didn't agree with the reference to black power, either in terms of the gang in New Zealand known as black power or the black power movement that originated in the States with people like Malcolm X. I didn't really think that was helpful. Um, but um, it will be interesting to see what's happening. And I have heard through my network some things about the New Zealand history aspects. Um, I know there's a lot of debate and work going on in that area still. I, I have a background as a New Zealand historian, so I've um, got a particular interest in that. Um, but I think we really have to see what comes out. And it's great that David's organised for this congregation to take an interest. And um, so, yeah. Look at it and read it and um, make up your own minds and don't be scared to have your say. Um, it's amazing how few people do make submissions on something. Some things get, like euthanasia, assisted dying, get um, tens of thousands of submissions, but many things you only get a hand. There's only a handful of people submitting, so your views, especially if thoughtfully expressed, can make a difference. Um, in terms of the UK style of religious education, um, which I have seen from my experience living in the UK, and I'm not necessarily a fan of the idea that we should replicate that here, uh, it can be very variable. And um, just from my experience in a religious school that had religious education in one year, and from seeing what happens there, it's impossible to sum up the major world religions in a few lessons in a year. Um, and generally they're overly simplified and stereotypical and not necessarily helpful. I also do feel that it's much more important in terms of education to consider religious education as part of the whole curriculum and particularly in terms of social sciences and embed it in that. And I would really hope that um, what comes out um, is informed by um, I guess discussion of the importance why religion was developed. And obviously that might be an anathema to some people who believe in um, it was someone that you know, gave their word and it was written on a piece of paper. But I think it's really important to look at um, things like the work that was put together by Harari in the book Sapiens, which is quite popular. And I think there's even a picture book version of it as to the importance for humans of myth-making um, using language to form collective ideologies and why we need to have these stories in our lives, um, because that's quite a good way of then understanding the diversity of stories different, different societies have created. Um, in terms of what does happen, um, yeah, as well as concerns about people with strongly or staunchly rationalist and atheist beliefs, I'm also concerned about the reflection of the growing number of people in New Zealand who are spiritual but not religious. Um, how do their views get reflected? So um, in the census, we see that number increasing um, regularly. 
And I do think that if we're going to talk about beliefs and faiths, we also need to respect, and this is serious, um, but the number of New Zealanders who follow astrology, who follow um, numerology, who follow other things which are generally have the mickey taken out of them. A lot of them are more female-led forms. They're not based in organised religions. But th those sorts of faith systems also give something to humans and also influence children. So children raised in a family that follows astrology will have at the dinner table been told, you know, their attributes in such and such a way is because they're Sagittarian. And so they they need to understand how that fits into a faith system as well. I don't, I think that New Zealand as a society for many people has moved a long way from the staunch affiliation with a particular organized religion. And that was a very Western and very Anglo view of what faith was that has been imposed on other parts of the world, such as the Pacific Islands, um, Maori understandings, um, and even if you look at Asian understandings, where often a person may be Confucian and Taoist and Buddhist. Um, my particular form of Buddhism doesn't, doesn't go there. We're just Buddhist. But those, those um, interminglings often happen. So we don't want to just have, this is Islam, this is Hinduism, this is Judaism, this is Christianity. Um, shut. And so those are the things I'm going to be looking for in, um, in the new curriculum. And I think the other thing that would be really interesting to hear more about is in terms of nafare um, tapafa, as in the four cornerstones of health, which is a wonderful and very useful model for the health sector and has been brought into the health curriculum in schools. I'm very interested how that can be made to not discriminate against those children from homes which are staunchly atheist, staunchly rationalist, and maybe don't don't accept that there is a space for something called spirituality and I think those conversations haven't really been had and also for those children such as my own child who although in a faith-based home is strictly rationalist and really struggles to answer you know suddenly you have to say what your spirituality is for um, when you're 11 um, or you get marked wrong so I think those um those things are some of the things that need to be teased out. And that's both why I'd be not keen to have a curriculum that was just an add-in and took time away from general education, because that's one of the problems with the current closing of the schools for religious instruction. It means kids at those schools are getting less education than kids at other schools. And we know the curriculum is packed. So we don't, don't necessarily want that. But um, what value is being put forward and how do we assure it's non-discriminatory? How do we do, I think, what was original earlier in there about learning other stories with empathy and also developing critical thinking and also developing the ability to articulate your beliefs. I do believe five-year-olds should develop the ability to articulate their beliefs. That means that they'd be able, going below, beneath parroting what they've been told and starting to kind of actually articulate why they feel this. Um, and that's a first step in some ways. If you can't articulate what you believe, it's very hard to be open to what others believe or to alternatives. So those are some of my thoughts and thank you very much.